Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for tuning in to Americana Music Profiles. It's Season 3, brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine in print and AmericanaMusicMagazine.com online. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's join in on another great conversation with one of the Americana Music Industry's super talented artists. Although this is their fifth release, the Jason Lee McKinney Band decided to release their new project as three separate EPs each featuring one of the band's distinctive sounds, Sacred, Southern, and Soul. It is also the name of the project, and Jason is my guest on this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the podcast today. Hey, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. So we're, um, I'm in Virginia. You're in Nashville, right? I am. I'm in that, Well, actually, technically today I'm in Smyrna, but it, it's, okay. a, it's a little town outside of Nashville, but it, it's all Nashville. Yeah, know? okay. Uh, I, and I think you told me that uh, you actually didn't didn't grow up there. You were born and raised in Indiana. Is that right? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Evansville, Indiana, which is a little southern town right on the Ohio River, uh, right across from Kentucky. You know, I grew up across from a cornfield. Um, but um, yeah, I grew up in Indiana. Uh, actually, proud born and raised Hoosier. What uh, at what point in your young life did did music become a thing for you? Yeah, music was always a thing. My dad was a was a rugby player, and um, his rugby team would usually got asked to be security guards for all the regional concerts. Okay. Instead of hiring one big meathead after the other and interviewing them, they decided they'd hire 30 of them at one time. <laughs> and so cool. I grew up around going to concerts and, and being around music, and my dad was a was a huge music fan. He, he couldn't play or sing or anything like that, but he was a, just a... He could tell you who recorded what and what the studio musicians they used and when who wrote it the first time it was recorded and all of that sort of stuff. So he was hmm. very into music. And uh, so I just sort of grew up around it. The The first time I ever thought, hey, I, I want to do this, though, um, was really when I saw, as a little kid, saw Purple Rain, uh, the oh, Prince movie. Yeah, and sure. At the end, when he played that song particularly, um, I just remember thinking as a little kid going, I want to make people feel like this too. That's yeah, what I want to do. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, yeah, that's how I kind of got into music was from there, you know, started out just sort of playing whatever they'd let me play in band class <laughs> and then moved on to other instruments. And and that, uh, at what point did it, did it kind of migrate into something bigger, more professional for you? 
Yeah, that sort of happened for me in high school when I sort of aspired to it. You know, at first I just played to play, and then in high school you think, okay, I'm going to be a big rock star. Yeah. And it sort of was the big rock star aspirations, and mostly that was to meet girls. Was yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, was the, the the original motivation was very centric towards that, but. As I moved on in college, I was in a band that um, ended up signing a record deal, and it was a major record deal in the Christian industry. I was actually okay. label mates with Katy Perry. Okay, uh, and we, I toured with Katy a lot when um, then, and then from there, I ended up being that deal fizzled, and you know that record label closed. There was embezzling and all that stuff at the top. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then ended up being a staff writer for a publishing company. Did the whole Nashville songwriting thing. Okay, and found out that I was very not well equipped for it i um Hmm. and and i and i don't i don't knock people to do it i mean i know there's a lot of people especially in our americana world sort of knock the people that go in and you know record label says i need song xyz that sounds like abc artist right and i found like the one to be it it wasn't for me it was very soul sucking for me Mm -hmm. but i don't think it is for everyone and i think it, it actually those guys are phenomenally skilled Mm -hmm. at cranking out songs like that Mm -hmm. that are just great songs it just wasn't for me. Right. Um, and then from there, I ended up um, starting another band, and we actually owned our own record label. And um, it was Lost Anthem. The, the label was um, IOC. Mm, okay. And that ended up falling apart right when I, basically, I went through a divorce. Oh, yeah. So I ended up professional there for a while, and then, then I had to come off the road and fight for custody of my kids. Wow. All that ugliness with that, and uh, I spent three or four years out of it and in the corporate world, hmm. just trying to kind of put my life back together and being dad, trying to get my priorities. Yeah, you know. sure, sure. And um, and then I and then um, that company was owned by Sir Alan Stanford, and he got busted in a Ponzi scheme, <laughs> and uh, so the SEC shut us down. Wow. And what a lot of people don't know about the SEC is, um and I didn't know this, is that when they shut you down, there's a period where they're sort of deciding what they want to do with you and they're auditing your books and do they want to sell you off to another company or they just want to sell the assets or what do they want to do? During that time, you're not allowed to make anything or sell anything or conduct any business, but you are supposed to show up to work every day, but you're not allowed to do anything like this. (laughs) So um, I ended up taking all of my vacation. And I never thought at this point in my life I'd ever end up back in music. Yeah. Never thought I would. I was kind of bitter about it. Yeah. And, you know, like, I'm just going to be dad and corporate guy and all this sort of stuff after, you know, just kind of being through several record deals and a writing deal and things going good for a while and then falling apart. And, sure, you know, yeah. The, the old time-honored time story, so to speak. Yeah. And a buddy of mine, uh, I ended up getting bored after, like, the vacation. And he was just <laughs> like, okay, well, let me um, – let me go, you know, hang out with some buddies. And the only buddies I really have were back in music. Right. And a guy asked me if I had written anything about, you know, written anything lately. I was like, man, I've, I've not written at all. And he's like, you wrote anything about the divorce? I was like, man, I certainly wouldn't write about that. Yeah. <laughs> Over a bottle of wine, we uh, wrote a song, and then I played it for a few more people, and, and everybody cried. And lo and behold, the next thing I know, a friend of mine handed me over a check to go record a record. Wow. And I was like... And it was just a friend saying, yeah. he said, what would it cost to record a record? And I was like, well, I threw out a number and he came back and had a check. Wow. And from there, I sort of slowly slipped back into it, you know, yeah. and I've been going back at it for seven years and five albums and wow. doing it completely on our own this time. Yeah. Uh, and it's been amazing. We 
you know, we've toured all over the world and a lot of things that I thought would happen when we were on, when I was on a big, you know, record label with a bunch of muscle. Yeah. Didn't. And it's all happened when I've been on my own. So it's been an amazing ride. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I, I've gotten a chance to listen to some of it, and, and obviously not everything from every album. What little bit I was able to to, to um, get into kind of had this 70s, 80s southern rock sound. Was that just specific for that particular uh, moment in time, or is that kind of where you guys fall into as a band musically? Well, we, we've always sort of had the, this the triple EP is sort of, it's really pretty clearly delineated between the three sort of main influences of ours. Right. And for me, that goes all the way back to my dad was really into country. And I mean, everything from Bob Wills to Willie Nelson to at that time, this new artist, Delbert McClinton, you know, and was, my dad was really into country. And so mm-hmm. I got that sort of country influence from him. Mm-hmm. And then I had an older brother, uh, much older. He's over a decade older than me who was really into, like, uh, Rush and Led Zeppelin and, yeah, okay. um, you know, Marshall Tucker and ACDC. So I kind of got that whole influence from him. And then my mom, was her favorite bands were Earth, Wind & Fire, The Temptations, and Hall and & Oates. Okay. So I got the whole sort of soul thing from my mom. And me being the youngest, I, I didn't ever get to choose what was on the radio. <laughs> yeah. But I sort of got those three influences. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then... You sort of fast forward to now, and there's three main guys in the band. There's me, and then the keyboard player, Barry Strasser, and the bass player, Billy Wright. Billy Wright is a huge Southern rock fan. Mar- um, you know, his the Allman Brothers are his favorite band of all time. I can hear Love hints them. of that in your music, too. That's cool. Yeah, it, for sure. And then Barry's, like, super traditional country. Mm-hmm. Like, he, Merle Haggard, and, you know, he Texas Swing, and yeah, I mean, okay. going all the way back. I just love that stuff. And then I'm more... I, I love like soul music, Memphis and Stax and that sort of uh-huh. that sort of stuff. And so these three EPs, when you listen to them, the first one, Sacred, is really Southern rock, and then the second one is Southern is just that it's very Southern, very non-modern country, I call it. Mm-hmm. But, and uh, and then the last one is Soul, and it's just like a throwback Memphis Stax Motown record, mm-hmm. and. Because what we always have before is people going, well, what are you? Are you country, yeah. are you soul, or okay. are you southern rock? And the answer has always been yes. And so I felt like it's kind of like the equivalent of we were serving people chocolate cake and strawberry cake. And so basically each album that we've had would lean more one direction than the other. Right, right. But it always okay. had all three of them in there. Mm-hmm. And so this record, we said, since some people aren't really getting it, we're not going to serve them a cake. We're going to give them and we're going to give them eggs. We're going to give them flour. And we're going to give them sugar, and say, "Look, this is what we've always been doing." Yeah. But but instead of like a mix of it all, we're going to hand it each to them and on each record. Okay. So each record is 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 basically showing our hand to what our influences and our ingredients have always been. Yeah. So and, and just to clarify, we're talking about the new record, Sacred Southern Soul, and you've released that as three EPs, right? Together or one at a time? Yeah. Uh, we released them all on the same day. Okay. And now physically we're selling them as one, but digitally we're selling them as, as three separate because they're really three separate records. Okay. That is, that is a part of one project. How did you decide to to do it that way? Does it does it make it a challenge for, for marketing? Um, 
I don't I don't think so. And there was just something quirky. Our last record was a double album. Right. I'm a huge like just I'm a sucker for the seventies. Yeah. I personally believe that the seventies were the golden era for all genres of music. Yeah. I mean in country you had Willie and Waylon and Johnny Cash is still in the primes and rock you had yeah. I know the Stones had been out for a long time, but the Stones are really hitting their stride. Sure. And yep. You had Zeppelin and Rush and all of that stuff in rock. And then even in pop, you had Elton John and Billy Joel and James Taylor. Like it was just an amazing time for mm -hmm. music, mm -hmm. personally. Mm -hmm. And back then, it was nothing for people to put out a double album, mm -hmm. people to put out songs that were seven minutes long. And I just sort of kind of got in this quirky phase of like, we're just going to, the last album, play something you believe was a double album. And we released it, and I was like, "What are you doing? Nobody, nobody does this anymore." <laughs> and money is not a motivator for me. I knew we weren't going to make our money back from it, but yeah. it's like, I want to do it because I feel like it's creative and yeah. it's the music I love and was inspired by. That's cool. And so with this album, we thought, you know, why don't we just up the ante? Why don't we do Triple EP? No one's ever done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah. So that was really the only logic of going. Let's do something no one's ever done and just see how it works out. So. Well, it kind of feels like it's the right time in in uh, in the times to do that. You know, we've got the vinyl trying to make a comeback, and you've got the hipsters that are kind of into that stuff that was going on in the '60s and '70s. So, you know, maybe you're onto something. Maybe maybe actually it's uh, it's 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 more of a trend setter than you think it is. I would sure like to hope so. We're going to bring back the eight tracks. That's our goal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like it when songs stop in the middle of songs and switch to the next track. Right. That's what I like. I, I have a few of those in my head I can actually remember. I remember where the song broke and, and, and you had to wait for the track to jump. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, was, I was a very little, small child when that was out, but I remember that going, why did it do that? Like, yeah. Did not anything better? But <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so... I'm making the presumption then that, that you guys have written, it's all original material on, on these new albums, correct? Yeah. The only, in fact, the only cover we've ever done in any of our five records, uh, what we did a version of empty glass, the old Gary Stewart song. Sure. Yep. Um, which, um, which we, we weren't even going to record, but our fans sort of demanded it. They, we just had a different approach and mm -hmm. they were like, because one of the things with that song is it's one of those songs that's been recorded 25 times right. by different people. And so we were kind of resistant to it, but they were like, no, you we, you do the best, best version. And I don't think that's true, but that's what they said. Sure. We did it for them. So yeah. that's the only cover we've ever done. Yeah. Okay. Are, are, are you guys able to do this full time or do you have other things that you do? Um, sort of, I would say we're bivocational. Like, it's not that it's not full time because it is. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we just spent a month overseas in May. And we're all, we all basically center our lives around it, but mm -hmm. we also all do other things for income too. Right. And, and there's two reasons for that. There's the obvious reason of like, you know, health insurance and the stuff that you don't yeah, get from sure. a full-time musician. Yeah. But for me, because I came from a world where, you know, I got caught up in the record label thing, you'd be surprised at how much you find yourself a slave to, there's literally sometimes the decision of, either sacrificing your artistic integrity mm -hmm. or feeding your family. Mm -hmm. And it, and and as much as people want to be artists that I believe, and I love Jason Isbell, but I believe if he were faced with the fact of you're going to write a cheesy song or you're not going to feed that baby, yeah, he'd go, yeah, I'm going to write a cheesy song. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And, yeah. and so 
the other reason for me, uh, I teach college. I'm a professor mm-hmm. uh, of music business. Mm-hmm. So I'm really full-time in music, but I'm not full-time in the band. But I enjoy it because I love teaching, and, and, I, and I loved having young people not make the same mistakes in the business I did early on. Yeah. But the other thing is I'm not a slave to having to reach a certain number of sales. I mean, I want to sell records. Don't get me wrong. Sure. And I don't intentionally write obscure stuff. But I'm not in that dichotomy of either do what such and such entity demands or you don't pay your mortgage. Right, right. And I like that freedom artistically of keeping it that way. Yeah. Are you able to bring in uh, your experiences uh, to the classroom? Does the type of classes you teach allow you to, to mix in all of the experience that you've brought into it up into what you currently are doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I teach music business, so it's it's almost like real time. Mm-hmm. I'll go out um, and because we still play, we play eighty to hundred shows a year. Oh wow! So we cool. keep up a real full touring schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I'll go out for three or four days, and I'll come back and teach class. And if there's some sort of con, you know, I may be teaching copyright, and if there's some sort of contract issue that came up, I can say, well, for example, this past week, such and such happened. Yeah. Or when we've done European tours, I've I've actually you know, blacked out the appropriate things, but then given them the contract that I just signed the week before. Okay. Um, and I, I think that it's a very valuable thing. And then vice versa, because I literally have to read all the trade magazines, all the academic research on changes in the music business. Right. It forces me to stay really up to date with what's happening. Yeah. yeah. Whether I want to or not. <laughs> so. Do do you find that the students are are more responsive because of the the uniqueness you can bring to the classroom versus somebody who's been teaching twenty years, got a lot of head knowledge, but it's not out there, you know, in on the road, knocking around this stuff every day. I think in either direction that's a negative. So you have some people that teach college that have never actually done it professionally, uh-huh. or they haven't done it like you said in a long time, and they're just head knowledge. And then conversely, you have people that. They're in there grinding it every day, but they don't have the academic substantiation. Uh-huh. They don't have a doctorate. They okay. don't. They don't have the PhD. Right. The combination of the two, I do think, causes students whether I'm warned, whether I'm worthy of that or not. I'm not. I, I don't know, but it does cause them to respect me. I think a little bit more than they would otherwise, and and to value my opinion a little more. Where did you find the time to get the education? to be able to do this in in the midst of all of that story you told me earlier? It was kind of crazy. What I did is I got a associate's degree in music, and Mm -hmm. then I went back a few years later in between record deals and got a bachelor in business, and then went away for a couple years, and then went back and got a master's of business administration. Then I just continued on and got a doctorate in it was really one of those things where, uh, I don't know what else to say, but it just took a lot of keeping your nose to the grindstone oh, yeah, and sure. <laughs> being able to, I, I had to learn how to be very present in the moment. Yeah. When I was out, when I was in a songwriting session, I wrote, I was there. I wasn't anywhere else. When I was out on the road, I was there. I wasn't anywhere else. And then when I was studying for school, no matter what happened for the band, good or bad, I wasn't there. I was doing school. Like yeah, I was, and okay. so you have to almost compartmentalize your life, yeah, yeah. really harshly, really finitely compartmentalize it. 
We were talking off air uh, before we get started, um, and you mentioned that uh, the podcasting thing is something that you're into as well, and uh, it seems like a nice tie-in here. I want to give you a chance to, to let people know how they can find that, but you were telling me you've been able to just really connect with different artists and people in the business kind of willing to talk about this, and I find that very um, uh, an opportunity to also bring some very helpful tools um to listeners, maybe even students. Yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of started it on a whim. I mean, I think if you ask most music, musicians now, where it used to be back in the day, and I'll, you probably remember this, where late night musicians would listen to, they'd probably try to find on some AM station, oh, Art yeah. Bell, yeah. where they'd listen to his conspiracy theories. And right. all that sort of, <laughs> not because you believed him, but because it was really entertaining at sure. 2 o'clock in the morning. Keeps you awake, yeah. Um, yeah. So now most musicians I know have gotten really into podcasts. Yeah. That's just like the thing, and yeah. we talk about them. So when you get into them, you find yourself just sort of curious and going, the great thing about them is just normal people having conversations. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so whatever the subject is. And so I thought, well, man, I think about a lot of weird stuff in between Nashville and Memphis, you know, where I, which I make a trip a lot. And so it's basically just a podcast that I'm going to call Nashville to Memphis. Yeah. Um, it's actually not even out yet. I'm okay. taping all the first season's episodes. Okay. But I've had everyone from our mutual buddy Steve Johnson. Yeah. Uh, we're on Fest. there from Merle Fest, yeah. and and then I had Jody Stevens from Big Star, which a lot of musicians. Big Star is one of those bands that the public doesn't know about, but they've influenced so many people. Yeah. That right. It's just crazy. Yeah. And Jody, who's the only remaining member, was a guest, and then I've had leaders of political parties and leaders of academia where you know a guy that was the leading expert on c.s lewis and um a friend of mine who's uh, one of the world leaders on studying emotional intelligence and huh, cool. and it's just been amazing like yeah. i've I, i've been just phenomenally impressed with how easy it's been to connect with people and people being willing to talk yeah. and how great people have been yeah. and uh well i'll start releasing episodes in september okay and it'll run september through the fall and then uh, i plan to do another season after that so. awesome that's cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so the new album came out in April, um, and uh, Sacred Southern Soul. And you guys got a, a tagline. I'm guessing it's part of the promotional material. Sanctified, chicken fried, roots revived with an American soul. Where did that come from? I love that. Yeah, I, man, I just thought of it one day. It was just one of those things that sort of hit me. Like, how do you describe this record? Because, you know, you always think through, <laughs> yeah. if someone were going to give you, an, you know, how are you going to give the elevator speech yeah. for what this band is? Yeah, yeah. And that was just sort of what came to my head. And, That's cool. You know, it sort of, I think it, in one little small fragment and sentence, it sort of says everything we are. Yeah. Is there... Um... Uh, is there plans for the future? Are you just taking it a day at a time? Do, where do you see yourself a year, two years, five years from now? Where's this going? I mean, we definitely have lofty goals, but I mean, the immediate things are um, Diddy TV is, um, they're good friends of ours. They've been great supporters of us, uh -huh. uh, really, back when nobody was, to yeah. be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And um, and we just got through, we did one of their live concert things, and then there was a making of Sacred Southern Soul. Um, we did a documentary. Oh, sweet. Part of the, the motivation for the documentary was, um, I'll be honest, I mean, Play Something You Believe, our last record, had one uh, radio hit in Texas. Uh -huh. And other than that, it, and you're not supposed to say this as an artist, but uh, I'm probably too honest, is that it flopped. Yeah. It flopped miserably. Wow. Like, it, the shows that weren't as good. And, and this one, 
by since April, everything's been a real upswing. Everything's been Good. going great. Yeah. But it was a real, and so at the time we were making it, I was kind of like, you know what's interesting is some guys that are recording a record that they have to acknowledge might be their last. Hmm. Like that's kind of a cool thing. Hmm. So we hired in the camera crew to follow us and interview us through that process and even wrestling with, you know, gosh, what, you know, why are we doing this? Or what, and, I, and so Diddy's going to air that for us. Oh, good. Premiere right. it. Yeah, cool. Um, and so it's going to be a, a great thing that's coming out. And then we uh, we just did a Armed Forces Entertainment Tour of Africa and the Middle East mm-hmm. uh, all of May. Mm-hmm. So we were everywhere from Qatar to Kuwait. And we uh, we took GoPros and recorded it all. And then we recorded board tapes. And we're in the middle of getting it mixed and mastered. So by the end of the year, we're going to put out a full concert. Um, That's great of our awesome. Middle East tour. Okay. So those are the things that are immediately in it. And then we're probably going to end up releasing Sacred Southern Soul to radio. Yeah. Uh, we're discussing formats. We're for sure going to release the record to Americana and then probably the song to AAA, um, which sounds weird, but it doesn't quite fit country radio mm-hmm. because it's just not mm-hmm. bro enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, it's not bro enough, and then it doesn't really fit pop radio, nor do we have the money to push it to pop. Yeah. So we're probably going to try to push it to triple A. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the only place it fits. So. Yeah. 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 Well, good. Well, I certainly wish you the best with that. And, uh, it's been uh, great getting a chance to, to talk with you about that. Where can people get in touch with you? How can they listen to some of your music? Maybe pick up a copy of the new CD. Yeah. Um, Jason Lee McKinney band.com. Um, we are actually on all the social media outlets, Instagram, uh, Twitter and Facebook. You just type in Jason Lee McKinney and we'll come up. Spotify, we're on Spotify. That's the, the new way of the world. Yep. Uh, we'd much rather sell somebody a copy, but they can certainly check us out on Spotify. And we're doing pretty well on Spotify. I mean, we're we're definitely getting a lot of, you know, a, a lot of movement there. But then, you know, you can always order a copy from us, or you can go to iTunes. Okay. And um, get Sacred Southern Soul. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Jason. Good talking to you, and I wish you guys the best with it. Man, I think, thank you so much for having us on. It'd be great. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the Internet at AmericanaRhythm.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.